is Angela Schaefers, and I invite you to listen to my show, Your Story Matters, Tuesdays at 2 p.m., www.radioearnetwork.com. Good afternoon, and thank you for listening to Your Story Matters. My name is Angela Schaefers, and I'm your host today. And I have Sharon Cosby with me, and she'll be talking about her upcoming book, Domestic Terrorism Behind the White Picket Fence. And I hope that you will be encouraged and inspired by her words and her story of dealing with addiction in her family. Hi, Sharon. Thanks for meeting with me and um, for being willing to share your story today. And can you tell us um, what your book is about and why you decided to write the book and share it with others? Yes, and thank you for having me today. When I was a little girl, my dream home was a yellow house with green shutters and a white picket fence. And in my dream, I would be married to a rich, successful businessman. I would be a successful attorney and I would have children. The only part of that dream that came true was I have three children, and I do have a wonderful husband, but he's not the rich, successful businessman that I had dreamed about. Mm -hmm. And I decided to write the book in 2000 because of the experience that we had had with our son, primarily our son and his addiction. But because of his addiction, I couldn't write the last chapter. Mm-hmm. So the book has been on hold since 2000, mm. and I have finally decided that with addiction, the last chapter is never written. Mm-hmm. You literally live a day at a time. So I have been encouraged by the Lord and by friends to get the book done. Mm-hmm. So I am actively working on the book right now. That's great. And what does the book cover as far as the topics and um some of your story that you highlight in there? Um, the book, is, it introduces our family. It tells you how we began and how we got, well, how I think we got to where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, it describes each of our three children and their, the issues that they had. And then it has resources for parents. The book is primarily for parents who think their child might be involved in substance abuse or other misbehaviors, or for parents who know that their children are using drugs, alcohol, and acting out sexually. Mm -hmm. And I have a chapter that has the 10 most commonly abused drugs. I describe the drugs, the common street terms for the drugs. That's important for parents to know those Mm -hmm. terms. And then a checklist that was developed by a psychologist who's given us permission to use his checklist. Mm -hmm. And it's broken into four categories of the least abuse to a full-blown addict. Mm -hmm. And a parent or a teacher, counselor, can use his checklist. And if they observe behaviors on the first grouping, they might start taking a, a deeper look at their child and check their room, check their book bag, just Mm -hmm. to see if the behaviors exhibited are related to some sort of substance abuse. Mm -hmm. And so what were some of the behaviors or things that you noticed about your son that created some concern or red flags before you really knew or admitted that he was an addict? Um, The first behaviors 
were academic. Um, he had never been a good student academically. He was diagnosed with ADHD in the first grade and was put on Ritalin the last semester of that year or the last two or three months of that school year. And there was a marked improvement in his academics and his behavior more than the academics, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, when he was in the seventh grade, it became worse. His behavior became slightly worse. Mm -hmm. uh, his motivation for school was in the tank. Mm -hmm. And that pretty much stayed consistent um, until he dropped out of school mm -hmm. when he was in the 11th grade. Mm -hmm. He didn't go to school. When he did go, he slept. He went to school high mm -hmm. a lot of the time in the uh, 10th grade, particularly. Mm -hmm. And his friends changed. He did not want to go to church. Mm -hmm. He absolutely did not want to go to church. The friends that he kept, uh, some of them had criminal records. Mm -hmm. And I knew that for a fact because I worked for an attorney and I knew that some of his friends were had criminal records. Mm -hmm. So the friends changed. Um, his style of dress changed. Mm -hmm. He had beautiful red hair that he peroxided and ruined his music changed. Mm -hmm. So just the classic symptoms and signs that parents should be aware of. Mm -hmm. But we kept thinking, no, he wouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. Not our son. Mm -hmm. It's the bad friends he's running around with. Mm -hmm. And we finally came to the realization that it wasn't the bad crowd. He was the bad crowd. Mm -hmm. So just the classic symptoms. Mm -hmm. Was there a certain point when you knew that he was definitely addicted? It wasn't something that typical teenagers try different things or hang out with the wrong people and get, move on from there and, you know, are still successful and still go on? Or was there a point when you said, no, this is definitely addiction and something that needs and requires serious attention? Yes, he overdosed in May when he was 17. He overdosed. And it was at that point, he had already been in a treatment center for alcoholism or for alcohol abuse. And that didn't seem to make a difference. And we had hoped that it would, but it didn't. Mm -hmm. And then he overdosed and was very seriously ill, but he survived and we survived. Mm -hmm. But it was at, I think that was a turning point in my heart. Mm -hmm that I realized there is a problem. Mm -hmm. And up to that point with the problems at school and having previously been in the alcohol rehab, what type of support did you have from whether it was doctors or friends or your family? We had none. And that made it even worse because we were so embarrassed. We lived in a, a nice neighborhood mm -hmm. with nice friends, professional type neighborhood. And we didn't want them to know what he was doing, although now we know he was doing it with their kids. Mm -hmm. And But they were parents like us. They thought that their kids were just doing the typical kid things and boys will be boys. Mm -hmm. And boys will be boys mentality can get your boys killed. Mm -hmm. And 
but that's where we were at that time. When he overdosed, we left the hospital empty-handed. Mm-hmm. We were given no referrals for counseling. We were given not even the name of a book mm-hmm. to read. And I think part of that is there were no books mm-hmm. written for parents to help them understand what their child was going through. Mm-hmm. We also were looking at our children's school years through our baby boomer eyes. Mm-hmm. High school, when we were in high school, is not the high school of today. Mm-hmm. And our children were facing battles that we never had. Mm-hmm. So when we sent them off with, have a great day, we had no clue what kind of a day they were experiencing. Mm-hmm. When they were in high school, bomb threats were quite common, mm-hmm. which meant they sat out on the football field for most of their day. Mm-hmm. Um, Drugs were dealt quite freely in their high school. Girls were raped in their bathroom, in the bathrooms. Mm-hmm. Those mm-hmm. were things that we did not have to put up with mm-hmm. and contend with. Mm-hmm. So that was something where we were, um, we didn't understand. Mm-hmm. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. And it was the unfamiliar right. of trying to figure out what now. Right. In addition to, it sounds like shame. Absolutely shame. Being the reason why you needed to hide it or felt like you should hide it Mm -hmm. from others. I was on the praise and worship team at our church, and I felt very hypocritical being on stage on Sunday morning praising the Lord when I'd been out a few hours earlier trying to find one of my daughters. Mm -hmm. I searched for several hours until I finally found her, found my son at the same place Mm -hmm. and then three hours later I'm on stage singing and praising the Lord Mm -hmm. so it was a very stressful time for me spiritually because Mm -hmm. I knew what was going on at home Mm -hmm. and it was not something that I would want anybody in my church to know about Mm -hmm. and now that you've gone through this through the years and obviously have come to some conclusions and have some healing and acceptance about the situation, what would you say to other parents as far as being able to um, deal with that shame and and at the same time keep their spiritual life strong and keep their faith strong even though they're suffering and watching their children suffer? The first thing I would tell them is to protect yourself. If that means going to a counselor, where if that's the only person you feel you can tell, and at the time it was for me, mm-hmm. I did have a counselor, um, I would see a counselor. If your pastor is someone you could talk to, then tell someone, mm-hmm. don't hold it inside because it will eat you alive. Mm-hmm. Um, I would encourage a parent to get into Al-Anon, Naranon, if your child is acting out sexually, there are groups for the the loved one mm-hmm. to, to but get support because mm-hmm. those are people who are traveling your journey. Mm-hmm. And they have tips and they have ideas, they've got resources. But if you sit at home by yourself, you you won't have any support and mm-hmm. you will absolutely wither away emotionally. Mm-hmm and die emotionally. Mm-hmm. I almost got to that point. Mm-hmm. And I finally started sharing. And in the sharing, I found other parents 
just like us. Mm-hmm. They, it was not, drugs are not my experience. Drug and alcohol are not my experience. So I didn't really know what was happening. Because mm-hmm. I didn't grow up with that. Mm-hmm. My friends didn't do it. Mm-hmm. So we were completely blindsided. Mm-hmm. So I met other parents like me who were naive. And in the telling, you know, I didn't change their son or daughter. They didn't change mine. But I began to change, and I began to see that I'm not by myself. Mm-hmm. I'm not alone, and there was great comfort in knowing that. Maybe it's misery loves company. Mm-hmm. But for me, just being able to share mm-hmm. took some of the shame away. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I put it out into the light, right. and it, it took some of the shame away. I still don't like to admit what my children have done. Mm-hmm. Both my daughters got pregnant, mm-hmm. and that was very shaming, mm-hmm. very shameful. But I have two precious grandsons mm-hmm. that I wouldn't trade for anything. Mm-hmm. But that was something that we had to walk through, and we did it. I loved them and supported them through it, and mm-hmm. that was a conscious decision that I made. And what was happening throughout the years when the addiction had started and things just got worse and worse? What happened with your daughters? What happened with your marriage? I mean, how did you deal with your regular, whatever normal is called, life? (laughs) Right. Um, In the book, that chapter is called Collateral Damage. And I think parents sometimes focus so much on the misbehaving child that if there are other children, they get pushed to the side, and that's what happened with us. Because Josh was ADHD, there was a tremendous amount of focus on him and his problems. Mm -hmm. Our girls were both good students, and they began acting out, but we didn't know it. So we now know that our son helped our daughter, our youngest daughter, when she was 15, get drunk for the first time Mm -hmm. so parents who are who have a misbehaving child need to be aware of the influence that child can and does have on your other children Mm -hmm. that's not I'm not blaming him completely for the drinking that she did but he ran with an older crowd so she ran with an older Mm -hmm. crowd and it just set them up for some problems and situations that ultimately led to her getting pregnant mm-hmm. when she was 19. Mm-hmm. Um, our girls worked in the service industry, uh, food service. Mm-hmm. They worked in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. They worked with older college students. And they had ready cash. They had their tip money. So they would go out and drink, use their tip money, go home sleep it off and start the next day over Mm -hmm. and we really did not know that they that it was that bad Mm -hmm. until they both got pregnant Mm -hmm. so it just because all the focus was on our son right and that's why i call it collateral damage Mm -hmm. and what happened like with you what was you know your life about at that point? Was there a part of your life that was just about you and what you needed and what you wanted for your husband? I didn't have a life. 
my life revolved around worrying, crying, wondering where are they, mm -hmm. who are they with, what are they doing. My husband at the time worked for a large company, corporate company, and he traveled internationally, so he wasn't at home. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't always reach him by telephone. So I was, for all practical purposes, a single mom raising three teenagers. Mm -hmm. And when he would come home, you know, he would try to discipline them, but he would leave, mm -hmm. and, and I didn't mm -hmm. discipline them like he did. So our marriage, we never talked divorce. It helped us, and we were close, but we did not have a life. Mm -hmm. Our life was focused on keeping our children out of the hospital and out of jail. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you were dealing with a lot of loneliness, and I wonder how do you think that you survived that? Because, you know, sometimes parents, especially mothers, feel very alone in their circumstances or their situation, mm -hmm. and they could themselves drink or do drugs or, or leave. I mean, so many things could happen because they just give up. And what was it that prevented you from giving up completely mm -hmm. on your family and your kids? Well, number one, I made a commitment to my husband. So I didn't, that was not, leaving him wasn't an option. Um, although I jokingly said, I wish I could find a cave and crawl in it and never come out. Mm -hmm. So those thoughts came, but the reality was I had three children, and for whatever reason, they were acting out. Mm -hmm. They were hurting. Now, their dad was never there. If he was physically there, he was mentally at the office. Mm -hmm. um, he was a good dad. Provisionally, he was mm -hmm. a, a good dad, and they knew he loved them, but emotionally, he wasn't always present. Mm -hmm. um, and I did feel alone. Mm -hmm. And I, I had friends, but none of their children were acting like my children. And I was embarrassed to tell them about my weekend mm -hmm. out searching for my children when theirs were off looking at colleges. Mm -hmm. And that was not my, my life then. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, tremendous amount of anxiety mm -hmm. and worry. Was there anger towards your son? Yes. There's still anger towards my son. Mm -hmm. um, and how do you deal with that? Because I'm, I understand that you still have a relationship with him and he's still a big part of your life. Yes. So how have you dealt with the anger along the years? Well, through counseling, I have learned that I have to verbalize how I feel, and mm -hmm. I never did that. So I have, our relationship is such that I can now say to him, I am angry at you for what you have done. Mm -hmm. He knows without a shadow of a doubt that I love him with all my heart and all my soul. Mm -hmm. But I'm angry at his choices. Mm -hmm. and how it has affected our family. Mm -hmm. So just being able to tell him honestly, I am angry at you, has been liberating for me because mm -hmm. now I don't have to hold it in. I can yeah. tell him I'm upset with you. Mm -hmm. Doesn't change how I love him. 
I don't always like him, mm-hmm. but I will always, always love my son. Mm-hmm. Always. And he knows that. And based on that, have you learned along the way how to set boundaries? I mean, I hear often when people talk about addiction, especially in the family, in the beginning when they don't realize it's an addiction or feel like it's that serious, they fall into a role of enabling rather than setting boundaries and you know doing things differently so that they're not always uh, encouraging the addiction. Right. How has that worked for you and where, where have you come from in that process? It hasn't always worked. And through the years, I was the mediator between our son and his father. Mm-hmm. And he would say, no, you can't have money and I would secretly give him money Mm -hmm. or put gas in the car or whatever. And so I was being disrespectful to my husband's wishes Mm -hmm. and had to ask forgiveness for that. Um, Because I love him so much, it's hard for me to tell him no. Mm -hmm. But in the last two years, I have learned that I have to say no. Mm -hmm. And we are in a a current situation where we have had to say no mm-hmm. and it still hurts uh, we put him out of our house mm-hmm. nine years ago mm-hmm. and said you have spent your last night in your parents home mm-hmm. and we are having to say that again mm-hmm. and it hurts today just like it hurt then mm-hmm. but I know that's the right thing to say mm-hmm. um, setting boundaries and keeping setting them is the easy part mm-hmm. maintaining them is the hard part mm-hmm. and I still slip um, but in order for him to suffer the consequences and learn from them mm-hmm. then he has to suffer them mm-hmm. and if I continually bail him out mm-hmm. he's not going to feel the pain of that consequence right. which is a key sign of the person who's addicted is they're used to not having to be responsible. Right. right. And during this journey then, starting from when, you know, it wasn't that bad and evolved into what it is today, what was your relationship with Christ like? What what were your thoughts and feelings about where is God in this mm-hmm. situation? Because I was raised in the church, Danny and I both were raised in the church, I didn't think I would have these problems Mm -hmm. because I was a good church girl, Mm -hmm. good Christian girl. And I was angry and maybe questioning why, why us? Mm -hmm. We go to church, we tithe, we've done all the right things. I've never been a drinker, a smoker. Why do we have to go through this? Mm So I think I was angry, and I have finally, I've moved beyond the anger, Um, but I still sometimes ask, why have you not healed him of this? Mm -hmm. Why has he not been delivered? Mm -hmm. And I think the answer is, our son has something to learn in this process, Mm -hmm. and I have just been reading chapters 30 and 31 in Jeremiah Mm -hmm. where God promised restoration to the children of Israel 
and that has given me great comfort in the last week. Mm-hmm. And he says, I will punish you because your sins have been so great. Mm -hmm. But I won't kill you. Mm -hmm. And he says, I will reward your hard work. I will restore your family. I will restore your house. And I'm standing on that promise that the work is going to be hard, but God's going to reward it. Mm -hmm. And I'm taking great comfort in that. I don't know how long the work's going to take. Mm -hmm. It could be a week. It could be five years. Mm -hmm. But it will be rewarded. Mm -hmm. And that is my hope. Mm -hmm. That sounds really encouraging for people who feel desperate and hopeless and don't know where to turn. And one of the other things I wanted to ask you, since you were saying that you obviously didn't come from a background of drugs and alcohol in your family and you didn't get information or referrals um, from the hospital or the treatment center. So how did you learn about addiction and what did you do to at least have some control over your knowledge and education of it and what you could do and couldn't do? My husband left his corporate job after 20 years and he learned of a, a course. It's a 12-month course. It's this The one that we attended was through the NED Institute out of Orlando. And it's an educational course to give you the educational hours to become a certified addictions professional. So he started the course, and then a month later I joined him, and we went through it together. Mm-hmm. And through it we learned um, the pharmacology of addiction, how it affects your brain, what happens when you ingest a substance, what happens in your brain. Mm-hmm. We learned understanding addiction because you have to understand your enemy mm-hmm. in order to fight the enemy. Mm-hmm. We learned about family and addiction and how addiction impacts a family. It's mm-hmm. not just the addict. Mm-hmm. The whole family is, is impacted. We learned uh, counseling skills, uh, one-on-one counseling. We learned group counseling and at the end of the course, um, he took he sat for the state certification, and he is now a state certified addictions professional. Mm-hmm. I have the educational hours and the counseling hours, but I did not sit for the certification test. Mm-hmm. And I read every book mm-hmm. that I could find on addiction. And now, if you want to know about cocaine, and you have a computer, just plug in cocaine on mm-hmm. the search line. Mm-hmm and you will find out more than you ever thought you wanted to know. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there, is so, there are so many resources available now mm-hmm. if parents would avail themselves. We used to hold workshops and we would have six or seven parents come. And I guess it's because until it comes to your front door mm-hmm. and knocks, you really don't have an interest. Mm-hmm. But once it comes to your door and comes in, it might be too late. Mm -hmm. So parents need to arm themselves now with information about drugs and alcohol and what to look for. Mm -hmm. And knowing the language is important. And here's an example. I was at a lab to have blood work done one morning. And two young men were sitting across from me. And there were two older ladies sitting on my side of the aisle. And one of the boys turned to the other and said, I have a thousand beans. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and we're going to cook them tonight. And the other boy said, used expletives, he said, no way, man. I love things. Can mm-hmm. I have some? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, I'll hook you up. So the two ladies, older women, said, oh, you like beans? Do you like black beans and rice? Mm-hmm. And the boys kind of laughed, and they went back to have their blood work, and one of the young boys went back. And the one who said he had the beans, I said, you have ecstasy, don't you? Well, he about fell out of his chair. Mm. Mm-hmm. I said, I know what you're talking about and mm-hmm. what you're doing is illegal. Mm-hmm. I said, have you ever seen anybody overdose? And he said, no, ma'am. I said, my son did, and it was not a pretty picture. Mm-hmm. So I knew he was talking about he was getting ready to deal ecstasy tabs mm-hmm. because they're called beans mm-hmm. on the street. Mm-hmm. So parents need to equip themselves with that kind of knowledge. And if they hear their young person talking like that, then they need to ask some pointed questions. Mm -hmm. What do you mean you have beans? Mm -hmm. And ask the hard questions. Mm -hmm. Do you um, think when you started doing the research about addiction and drugs and some of the books that you read, is, are there a lot of books out there like yours where families, mothers, fathers really talk about the emotions that they experience, talk about the real live experiences? Because it sounds like from what I've seen already of your book that you really emphasize the real life. This is really what happened. Mm-hmm. This is how I felt. This is what I was seeing right before my eyes. And were you finding that? Do you think that there's a lot of those types of um, stories or books out there like that? Most of the addiction memoirs, there's about 784 of them between Barnes and Nobles and Amazon. Mm -hmm. Most of them are written by the addict Mm -hmm. about their experience. I have two books by the same author, Beverly Conyers, that I would recommend to any parent until mine comes out. Addict in the Family, and Everything Changes, and she is the mother of a heroin addict, and they are both excellent tools, and she does go through how the parent feels, Mm -hmm. and it's written from that perspective, Mm -hmm. and I highly recommend both of those Mm -hmm. books by Beverly Conyers. Um, Most of the books don't have a a Christian slant. Mm They sometimes have a spiritual slant, mm-hmm. but that doesn't necessarily make it a Christian slant. Mm-hmm. And mine does have a Christian aspect, mm-hmm. and I only found four others that have that perspective. Mm-hmm. Because had it not been for the Lord, mm-hmm. and I didn't always actively seek Him when I was so depressed, I wondered if there was a God. Mm-hmm. I knew he was there. I didn't feel like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still, I clung to the hope that, yes, you're up there and you're watching us, mm-hmm. and we will get through this. And mm-hmm. we did. We're still getting through it. Mm-hmm. Um, but our family has a, a wonderful relationship. We have been through a lot. Mm-hmm. 
of upheaval together. Mm -hmm. But we still have Sunday lunch together. Mm -hmm. We still love each other. We don't always like each other, mm -hmm. but we always love each other. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, mm -hmm. that love is there. Mm -hmm. And when our son was in a different treatment center, he told me that as they were sitting around, he and the guys sitting around talking, they asked him, why are you here? Because mm -hmm. they had met all of us at a picnic. They said, why are you here? You've got parents who love you. Mm -hmm. You've got beautiful sisters. Man, you've got it all. Mm -hmm. What are you doing sitting here mm -hmm. in a homeless shelter? Mm -hmm. And he couldn't answer that question. Mm -hmm. But choices, mm -hmm. bad choices, mm -hmm. end you up in bad places. Mm -hmm. And have you been able to talk with him now that he's older and, and you've gone through some of your healing about his thoughts and feelings and all this? And has it helped you to understand a little bit better his side of the addiction? Or what does that look like as far as your communication with him? I, I communicate with him. I don't know how honest the responses are. He's an addict. Mm -hmm. Addicts don't normally tell the truth. Mm -hmm. So I am learning to temper the, the conversation because I don't know how much of it is true. Mm -hmm. um, I know that he's hurting. I know that he does not want his life the way it is right now. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want to lose his family. Mm -hmm or his job, or his car, or his house. He's very ashamed. He's very guilt-ridden. Mm -hmm. So we have that conversation. But I still, um, I guard my heart. Mm -hmm. And that's scriptural. Mm -hmm. I guard my heart. And that's something that my husband tells his clients, parents, mm -hmm. protect yourself. Mm -hmm. And we still protect ourselves mm -hmm. because he's an addict. Mm -hmm. And addicts hurt people. Mm -hmm. And they hurt the people they love. Mm -hmm. Not intentionally, but hurt is hurt. Mm -hmm. Is there something that, looking back over all these years, one thing that you could have done differently that you would have? I think perhaps buying our children cards when they were 16, because that gave them wings. Mm -hmm. um, and our girls working in restaurants. Mm -hmm. And the third thing would be spending the night away from home. Mm -hmm. Because the influence, we didn't know their parents' friends. Mm -hmm. And I know that the drinking went on in homes and that's fine if the parents want to have alcohol. Mm -hmm. It's legal for the parents, mm -hmm. but it was being abused by the children. Mm -hmm. So I think if I could go back and change those three things, it might have had a different ending. Mm -hmm. I don't know that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just don't know. And out of all the things you talked about today, counseling and educating yourself about addiction and drugs um, and of course prayer and holding on to your faith what is 
one main thing that you would say to other families that are dealing with this, whether they're in the beginning of their story with addiction or in the middle or, or even at the end because maybe literally it's the end and their child has died from overdose. Mm-hmm. Is there something that you could give them to encourage them about living with addiction? What keeps me, what keeps me sane is knowing that each new day is a new day. God's mercies are new every day. And I start the day saying, today could be the day. As long as my son has breath in his body, today could be the day. And that's what I tell other mothers who are sobbing over their child's addiction. You know, we cannot make our child be unaddicted. Mm -hmm. We can lift them up in prayer. And that's basically, I mean, you can put them in a treatment center Mm -hmm. and things like that. But it's your loved one's choice, and you can guide them through the choice. But what I hold on to is every day is a new day, mm-hmm. and today could be the day. Mm-hmm. He could be miraculously healed, instantaneously delivered, mm-hmm. or he may have to do what Jeremiah 30 and 31 says. It may be a long walk mm-hmm. to get to that promised land. Mm-hmm. And you don't know, but I would just encourage parents to continually love their addicted one. Mm-hmm. And if you don't always like them, don't beat yourself up. Mm-hmm. It's okay. We're commanded to love, not like. Mm-hmm. And to protect yourself, mm-hmm. protect your other children from your addicted loved one. Mm-hmm. And if they're an older child, then you may have to separate from them mm-hmm. to protect your younger children. Mm-hmm. And just remember, the sun comes up mm-hmm. and it's a new day. Mm-hmm. And what would you say as far as those parents who are just so frustrated and they feel like they need to just walk away from this person or you know, just completely cut them off from their life. I mean, because I think you and I had talked about that that was never an option for you. Mm-hmm. Well, we have talked about cutting our son off to ban him from the family. But I don't, in our case, that might not be the best thing mm-hmm. because family is all he has left. Mm-hmm. Um But if a parent is at that point, then they need to sever the tie. Mm -hmm. You can never sever your parenthood. Mm -hmm. You will always be that child's parent. But if cutting ties is the best way to protect yourselves and your other family members, then you have to do that. Mm -hmm. I would do it in love. Mm -hmm. I would let your addicted one know I still love you, but for right now, we need to be apart. Mm-hmm. And and then they need to get some kind of counseling. Mm-hmm. They need to go to Al- Al-Anon or Narnon. You can look in the phone book to, to find the local chapters. Mm-hmm. Call an AA house in your area, and they will connect you with an Al-Anon group. Mm-hmm. 
but you need to talk to somebody who's walking your journey. Mm -hmm. If they've put their loved one out, then they can share with you how they feel and how mm-hmm. how they are coping with it, and that can strengthen you. Mm-hmm. But if you sit at home and hold it in, you'll go nuts. Mm-hmm. And what has helped you by writing your story and making this into a book? Mm-hmm. I mean, my theory on it, because that's what my show is about, is that your story matters because it can encourage and inspire others but I also know that what goes hand in hand with that is healing. Right. And so what has happened for you in this process of writing? The first thing I discovered through writing this, and it has been painful, I have sobbed over it, is that my ideal of being perfect transferred to my children. Mm -hmm. And one of my children, one of my daughters told me one day, Mom, you want everybody to think we are perfect. I'm going to show them we're not. Mm-hmm. My own issues that had never been dealt with had a great impact on my daughter mm-hmm. and caused her to make some very poor choices. Mm-hmm. So through the process of writing this book, I have learned that that issue of perfectionism impacted my family. So I have let go of, well, I'm letting go mm-hmm. of that picture of perfection. Mm-hmm. And the second thing I learned is that I'm a lot stronger than I thought I was. Mm-hmm. I'm a much stronger woman. I have dealt with a whole basket full of issues. My heritage is to stand on the word. Mm-hmm. And the scripture and song that says, put things together and make sense of it, what their story was. It helped us to learn a lot of things about things that worked and things that didn't work and how our human race has survived over time. From that point, there was uh, a lot of telling stories. Villages and different groups would tell stories to each other about things that happened in the past. They would share those stories and they would become a legacy that would be passed on. Of course, we know that some of the story would change along the way, having been told. I found this amazing song that kind of goes along with the theme of my organization, Grief to Grace, and uh, the radio show, Your Story Matters. One of my questions to people is, what's your story? And I found a song called What's Your Story by Brian Hahn. And the words really are quite perfect um, when aligned with what I'm trying to do with the show and how I try and encourage others to share their story and to find healing in that. So I hope you enjoy this next song before we start our interview. Brian Hahn, What's Your Story? Yeah, 
Again and again, but the bulk of the story, the, the main message of the story was really what was important to pass along. And a lot of the times those messages were about things that people learned, things that they valued, principles that they had um, in their life and that they lived by. And these were the things that seemed to be the most important for them to share and to pass on to their other future generations. As stories became more powerful and um, family life and what was happening around people was more important, people decided to start having other ways to share that message and those stories. And they began to do art, they began to write, uh, do poetry, um, eventually they began to record things. And again, this was a way of just sharing a part of someone and some of history that they wanted to make sure was not forgotten. It seems like more and more that we don't share as much as we should or that we could and oftentimes with the um, family dynamics being the way they are in our society these days it seems like telling a story, sharing memories and passing on certain truths about life just aren't as valuable as they used to be and I'm not sure why that is but I really think that it's important that we do so again for our future for the generations ahead of us to learn from what we've learned from and to sometimes just be able to experience and feel maybe the joy or the happiness or just the unbelievable um, blessings that may have come our way that others would never know if we wouldn't be willing to share so I encourage you to consider what your story has um, in it that would be a powerful message to others and, and how you could share that. And even if it's just for your own family to share a legacy with them, that's still valuable. That's still enough. Everybody doesn't have to share their story with the world or share what they've learned with many. But I have learned that when you do, you will be amazed at the lives that are touched. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the show today and to join in with other viewers to start to um, feel just how dynamic the power is in hearing other people's story. I hope again that if you have an amazing story to tell, one of healing and things that you have learned and wisdom you can share, that you will contact me at Angela at grief, the number two, grace.org 
or visit my website at www.grief2grace.org. I would love to hear from you as I would love to um, have any questions or comments you have about the show sent there. Uh, there is an email opportunity there to click onto and post your comments or questions. And I will be answering questions online as I receive them from the website. So feel free to send questions that way about the show. Uh, if you know of someone who has a great story to share, that would be um, someone amazing to hear from or interesting to hear about and someone who can really encourage and inspire others with their story, please contact me and I will be in touch with them. And I thank you uh, for being here again and I wish you just the best day. And I hope you and what I think. And it's called The Story of My Life by Leanne Womack. Hope you enjoy it. Turn the pages of the past Take what I've learned and then never look back Still I never want to get too far ahead Worry about how the story
today that you will just start to think about how your story matters.